Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's give a clap offering to the Lord. How many know the Lord we serve is faithful, right? He's a good, good God, amen? Now, before we do anything else, we need to take a moment to honor all the fathers in the room. And so if you're a father, I'd like you to stand. I'd like you to stand to your feet. Hallelujah. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Come on, guys. We appreciate you. Yes, yes. Superman or Batman, because you guys are the real superheroes, amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. And on this day, we want to make sure that we acknowledge fatherhood. Why? Because we know that fatherhood is a very important role. But I feel kind of bad because you guys get the short end of the stick sometimes. I'll be honest with you, when Mother's Day comes, months before, you already see the commercials, right? You see a beautiful range of gifts you can get to mothers. You can get them flowers and jewelry and chocolate. But for you guys, mm. <laughs> you go into Hallmark, they got this te teeny weeny little section of cards. Even the range of gifts is pitiful, right? You guys can get ties. You can get soap on a rope or Old Spice. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and if you're lucky, maybe you get one of those 10-in-1 Swiss Army knives. But who needs that, right? Unless your dad is like MacGyver or like some type of secret spy. <laughs> we love you fathers. It's not our fault that the gift selection for you is horrible, all right? But at PCC, we love you. So what I'm suggesting is that maybe we start a petition, right, where we add. What I'm suggesting, thank you, thank you. They take good care of us here. But what I'm suggesting is that maybe at PCC, we do something a little different. So I'm suggesting that perhaps we start a petition to add Snuggies to the list of gifts. Come on, y'all. No, 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 get your Snuggie, right? It's a blanket with sleeves, right? Don't hate. You know, Snuggies are the bomb. <laughs> and so it's an honor to be here with you and share the bread of life. But I gotta be honest with you, it always is very interesting to me when I have the opportunity to speak on Father's Day. Because out of all the other holidays in the year, this is the one that I've spoken on more than any other occasion. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> not only is that odd, because obviously I'm not a father, <laughs> but many of you guys know my story. See, I didn't grow up with my biological dad. In my early years, my mother was both my mother and my father. And then after a certain age, she remarried, and that was a mess because my stepdad was addicted to drugs, he was verbally and physically abusive, and we had a number of issues in our home. Now you would think that growing up in an environment like that, I would have daddy resentment issues, but not so. See, because as a teenager, I met the Lord, and although I never saw a healthy father in action, I learned everything I needed to learn about fatherhood from God. I learned that a father was supposed to be caring and loving, nurturing, 
and protecting. And God took care of me because throughout my development process, he put a number of different male figures, right, that can, that can play that paternal role and help guide me. And so I was blessed to see those examples. So that's why I believe that fatherhood is not just about who you give birth to, but it's about who you love and invest in. Amen? And what's incredible is that now, as an adult, I have a wonderful example of fatherhood that I witness each and every day in the flesh. My husband, Samuel. Honey, stand up and wave. (laughs) And among the many things that Sam is good at, I've discovered that he's an amazing father. See, over the years, I've seen him bond with my son, Samuel, who's 11. They get together and they wrestle together on the ground. <laughs> they go outside and they play sports together. Now that he's a little older, they sit around and they play video games, right? About superheroes and all other types of stuff. That's his little buddy. So much so that I used to feel left out with all the testosterone in the house, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but then something changed when we had our daughter. See, not only was I not outnumbered anymore, amen, hallelujah, (laughs) but I saw a totally different side of my husband, Sam. See, this rough and tough, muscled man became a teddy bear for his daughter. Come on, you know it, you know it. And what's crazy is that she's only four, but she knows it. She knows she has him wrapped around her little finger. Just last week after church, we went home and I was sitting in the dining room on my computer working on the sermon for today. And I could hear them talking in the next room and they're laughing and playing. And he asked her, Isabella, who's the boss of the house? (laughs) And she turns around and her biggest, cutest smile, and she says, Mommy is. (laughs) So she knows what's up. But I see their interactions, and I'm amazed at the power of fatherhood. But the cutest thing that I marvel in every time I see it is when they walk together. I love to see her delicate little hands, those little fingers with the tiny little nails in his big, brawly hands. See, those are the same hands that he uses to build skyscrapers because he's in the construction field. Those are the same hands that he uses to haul these big steel beams, to haul around bags of concrete. Yes, he takes her fragile little hands in his and gently guides her to safety. And that is the image, that tender image is where today's sermon originated. And it's similar to the image that Jesus paints for us in John chapter 10, where we're going to be parking today. So if you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon is In the Hands of Our Father. In the Hands of Our Father. And I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10, verses 20 through to 29, where we're going to be reading today. John 10, 22 to 29. And the word of the Lord reads as such. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, 
I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And verse 29 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. So pay attention. Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Amen, amen, amen. Now, as we reflect on this piece of scripture today, I want us to understand that everything that Jesus says has incredible significance. He was not at a loss for words. He did not have a crisis of creativity when he talked about the security of the hands of the Father. It was very intentional. And what we hear today is an incredible promise for you and for I. See, Jesus assures us that his sheep, and by his sheep he means those who believe in him, belong to him and the Father. See, we are not orphans, we are not accidents, we are not mistakes, but we all have a father that has our back. Now, knowing this, it sometimes saddens me when I see that fatherhood isn't celebrated or times where fatherhood isn't esteemed by some because that at all is not consistent with the biblical view of fatherhood. Oftentimes, our culture has cheapened the role that God raises to the utmost importance because it's a role that he himself assumes, the role of father. See, in the Old Testament, we see God being referred to as the father in about 15 different places. And then when Jesus rolls on the scene, we see an increase of this terminology because Jesus' favorite way to refer to God was father. Jesus says it some 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and another 100 times in the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus begins to pray, above all of the things that he could have elevated about God, what does he start his prayer with? Our Father. He could have started his prayer and said, our Lord. He could have said, our provider. He could have said, our healer. Or a number of different things that would have described who God was. But instead, he elevates his fatherhood. As we look to scripture, we see that Jesus often uses the Aramaic term Abba. Which is a term that little children use when they address their fathers. It's a term that implies familiarity and intimacy. And so this is a central point that we cannot lose today, guys. It doesn't matter what culture says about fatherhood. Bible says that it is central and important. Why? Because Jesus models for us a deep and personal relationship with his father, and he wants you and I to do the same. See, God wasn't some distant being to Jesus. He wasn't some puppeteer pulling the strings behind the scenes. He wasn't like the Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain, right, not wanting to connect. But he's someone with whom Jesus had a deep and personal relationship. Sadly, 
reality is that some of us can't relate to this intimate knowledge of God or this intimate concept, rather, of God because maybe we had a less than ideal relationship with our own dad. But whether or not you've, you've experienced the blessing of a biological father, today's reading promises us that all who have accepted Jesus into our hearts are now part of the family. Yes. Jesus' father becomes our father. Amen. Amen. And like any son or daughter, there's benefits to being part of the family. Yeah, there's benefits. Why? Because no matter what, we're securely in the hands of our Father. To help understand this, I want you to indulge me for a few minutes. What I want each person to do is take out your hands and hold them out in front of you. Take out your hands, put them in front of you, and I want you to look at them, but really look at them. Examine the lines, examine the wrinkles, the crevices, the veins. <laughs> Listen, I'm not commenting on how many wrinkles, right? <laughs> look at the palms, look at the lines, look at the indentation, right? Really, take, a, take an opportunity to examine your hands. See, hands are something that we often take for granted, but they're very unique. See, no other creature in the world has hands that can grasp, that can hold, that can move in the way that human hands do. They're one of our greatest assets. And they're the primary way that we connect with people and with the world, right? We use them as tools. In other occasions, we use them as weapons. They even allow us to communicate without saying a word. See, before emojis, we used to use our hands to gesture nonverbal expressions, right? Now that's all millennials do, right? You get an emoji, <laughs> text message, right? But we use it to say hello. We use it to say goodbye. We use it to touch someone and, and get their attention. We use them to show reverence to God, right? To show appreciation at a concert or a sporting event. Our hands have incredible power. They can be used to build or to destroy. They can be used to compliment or to insult, to heal or to hurt. These are the tools that God gave us to reach out and to embrace life. They put food in our mouths. They put clothes on our back. They've dried our tears and they've embraced those that we love. It's the power of our hands. And even on a more formal level, right? When you go do business with someone, where do you connect? You shake hands. In researching uh, you know, the hands for this sermon, I came across an article that said 15 things, 15 elements of a powerful handshake. And I'm like, 15 elements? <laughs> I gotta keep in mind 15 things to make sure it's a good handshake because that's how important it is in the realm of business. To seal a deal or to give somebody a word, what do you do? Right, you shake hands. So Pog, you know there's incredible power in our hands. The influence of our hands is so great that there's studies that show that there's a correlation between manual dexterity and mental ability. I was shocked when I read this. Swedish neurophysicist Matty Bergstrom says this, the density 
of nerve endings in our fingertips is enormous. Their discrimination is almost as good as that of our eyes. If we don't use our fingers, if in childhood and youth we become what they call finger blind, this rich network of nerves is impoverished, which represents a huge loss to the brain and thwarts the individual's all-around development. Such damage may be likened to blindness itself. So what did I just say? So as a child, if you don't have opportunities to use the receptors in your hands to touch and feel and discover the world, that it can impact your cognitive growth. And if you think about it, this makes perfect sense, right? Kids' books have all types of textures and things that they can touch and feel. If you go into a pre-kindergarten or kindergarten classroom, right, there's all types of things for them to touch and interact with, right? Teachers use things called manipulatives to help kids learn. That is the power of our hands. So track with me here. If we were created in God's own image and our hands hold so much power, what does that tell you about God's hands? That there is power there we can't even begin to comprehend. So when Jesus tells us in these verses that we are securely in the hands of God, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to celebrate. Because I can't even imagine the power that's found there. Just like the five fingers we see in our hands, I'd like to share with you today the five key benefits for those that remain in the hands of our Father. You ready to track with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? Turn to your other neighbor and say, are you ready? The first thing we find in the hands of our Father is life. See, scriptures remind us that the wages of sin are death. Yet in verse 28 of today's reading, this is what Jesus promises. He reminds us, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. So God has flipped the script and offered us life through Christ Jesus. And actually, as you look at your hands, your thumb is a reminder of that. Let me tell you why. Each hand has five fingers. And we know the number five symbolizes grace. And so as we look at the four fingers, even though they're bigger, really they're weak because their movement is limited. It's really the addition of that fifth finger, the opposable thumb, that gives us the power that we have in our hands. So even though the four fingers are weak, that fifth finger gives us strength. And that is an illustration of God's grace. See, when we're weak, God comes in from the opposite direction and gives us strength. Come on, somebody. There's been times when death has been breathing down your neck, yet God comes in and gives you life. There are times when we feel like we can't hold on anymore. Times when we feel like we're losing a grip on life. Times when we feel like the enemy has beat us down so hard, we don't know how we're going to get up. Yet God comes in with his amazing grace and gives us life. Hallelujah. Why? Because of a deep and personal connection that started with man since the beginning of time. See, a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark spoke so articulately about the institution of family and how God created man. 
He pointed out that while God spoke everything else into being, he rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty making man. He wasn't looking for surgical gloves or antibacterial gel, right? He wasn't some disconnected germaphobe who took a shortcut to create us. It was a deeply intimate process. He got in there. He also didn't delegate the task. By the time he created us, he had an army of angels that could have done his bidding. He didn't say to the angel Gabriel, yo, Gabe, hook a brother up. You and I go way back, take care of this. I don't want to mess up my manicure. <laughs> he didn't do that. God got in there with his own hands. And as a result, there is a connection with you and with I that is not there with any other part of creation. So when we fall prey to our sinfulness, because it happens, Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just the people out there, all have sinned. So when we fall prey to our sinful nature, that connection that God has with you and I is what moved his heart to send his son to pay the price for you and for me. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 puts it like this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. So in the hands of the Father, we can stand up to the sinfulness inside of us and find eternal life. Now, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Come on, somebody. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. See, God knows what you did last month. God knows what you did last week. God knows what you did last night. And he still loves you. Come on, somebody. Come on. He still has you in the palm of his hands and wants to give you life. Some of you guys can preach this better than I can because some of you sitting here have incredible stories of victory over death. Times when the enemy has come in and tried to snuff you out. But God, but God, declared life. I myself can give you five, not one, not two, five different examples of times that I should have died. See, many of you guys don't know, when I was born, I was actually born a very sick child. I have a congenital heart disorder where there's four chambers in the heart. Between two of my chambers, I got a big old hole. And so when I was born as a child, I was born blue. I was not breathing, and the doctors did all they could, and they told my mom, she's not going to make it. But 28 days later, I left that hospital, and I showed them up. And then before the age of 10, I had two more major heart attacks. And the doctors told my mom once again, she's not going to make it. You better pray and make arrangements. But God. But God. God. And then at the age of 15, I had two more near-death experiences. The same year I met the Lord. Coincidence? I think not. It is not logical for me to be standing here. I want you to understand that. But God scooped me up in the palm of his hands and he said, not this one. I have a purpose and I have a plan for her and I'm going to give a life. 
gonna give her life. How many of you guys can relate to that? Mm. So no matter what, we need to understand that in the Father's hand we can find life. And not just intensive care kind of life. Not just getting by, I'm just surviving type of life. Like any father, he wants us to have abundant, full, joyous, earth-shattering, knock-your-socks-off types of lives. But we need to remain in the Father's hands. So in the Father's hands, we find life. The second thing we find is love. If life is the thumb of God's hands, I would say that love is the point of finger. Why? Because it's generally the most well-developed from a neuromuscular perspective. And if I had to choose the most developed of all of God's qualities, I would say is love. Now, I just mentioned one of the benefits of God's love, right? We, we see it in John 3.16. He sent his only son to pay the price for you and for me. And going through the, the, the daily issues of life, sometimes we forget that in God's hands, we find affection. In God's hands, we find affirmation. In God's hands, we find adoration, even when the world doesn't give us those things. And I'm not just talking about some wimpy puppy love type of love, right? God's love is strong and powerful and move him to do incredible things for you and for me. If we think back to the image of the hands, people often wear a ring on their index finger to demonstrate assertiveness or power. You ever seen those movies where people come in and see a king, what do they do? They kneel and they kiss the ring right on the pointer finger. Why? Because they thought that that finger was especially powerful but I want us to understand that God's love is so powerful that he will never give up looking for you when you are lost. God's love is so powerful, he will never give up waiting on you when you've turned your back on him. God's love is so powerful that he will move mountains to get to you. Hallelujah. How many believe that today? Jesus himself notes this in today's reading. Right? What does he say? Nothing can snatch you from his father's hands. Now, why would he provide that reassurance unless he was confident that something might come along and try to snatch us away? When we think of the image of sheep, right, we have to remember that there were always things trying to snatch them away from the flock. Wolves and other animals that were trying to come in and prey on the defenseless sheep. Even today, how many know that there are things, there are people, we have an enemy that sometimes comes in and tries to prey on us. But we need to remember that when the enemy comes in trying to attack, trying to violate us, trying to assault us, that we are in the hands of our Father. So when the storms of life begin to shake things around us, we are in the hands of our Father. When someone at work tries to mess with us, we need to remember that we are in the hands of our Father. When our hearts break because we see that our children are not doing what they're supposed to do, we are in the hands of our Father. When we get negative reports from the doctors, we need to remember that we are in the hands of our Father. When our bank accounts look a little 
anorexic. <laughs> we need to remember that we are in the hands of our Father. Give a clap offering to the Lord if you believe that today. promises us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So no matter what comes our way, we are in the hands of our Father. I'm here to tell you that he has you in his kung fu grip and he's not letting go. He's like, Woo! yeah, come on. So in the hands of our Father, right, we find life we find love. The third thing that we find is his likeness. As you look at your hand, the middle finger is the biggest and the strongest finger. Oftentimes, it represents personal identity. It's the center of the hand and the thing that stands out the most. Similarly, the longer you're in the hands of the Father, the more people should see God's likeness in you. Amen. It should be the biggest, most obvious thing that they notice about you. And little by little, the closer you lean in, the more time you spend snuggled in there with your Snuggie in the hands of the Father, the more he will show you who he is. Now, most people don't know that I have freckles on my face because you got to stand really close to see them. Just like God, you got to remain really close to really wrap your mind around every detail and just the amazingness of who God is. Amen. Praise God. Yes. So we got to spend time in God's hands. Yes. Plus, as you grow closer to him, as I shared before, little by little by little, people should see him when they look at you. How should they see it? They should see it in the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. When they see you, they should see love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People should look at you and say, man, I don't know what he has. Man, I don't know what she has, but I want some of that. Yet sometimes we Christians are the most miserable people around, looking around like this defeated instead of victorious. Some of us, truth be told, have a PhD in raining on people's parades. Right? But nobody wants to be a part of that. There's other times that you see Christians flaunting all types of gear, right? You see the bumper stickers that say WWJD, what would Jesus do? Yeah, those are the first people to cut you off on the highway. Don't, you're laughing because you've seen it. <laughs> You have others that wear the lanyards that say, I love Jesus, but they're walking around like this. <laughs> With a sour puss all day. <laughs> you have people that have memorized the scriptures cover to cover, but their lives don't reflect what they preach. Now, I'm not telling you that any of those things are bad. If you got the WWJD bumper stick on your car, don't go and try to rip it off. <laughs> I'm just saying that we need to walk the walk. Not just talk the talk, guys. If our lives were silent films with no volume, would people see Jesus radiating through? We need to make sure that people see Jesus when they look at us. And for the parents in the rooms, 
For the fathers that stood up earlier, man, your children should see Jesus all throughout your life. Not just when you come to church on Sunday. They should see Jesus in the way that you treat them. They should see Jesus in the way that you manage your money. They should see Jesus in the way you deal with difficulty. They should see Jesus in the way you love those around you. Come on, somebody. That's like my son, Samuel. Man, when he was born, he looked just like his dad. Even when they sleep, they sleep in like the same little position. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I did all the work. <laughs> I carried him for nine months. I had like acid indigestion because of him. I couldn't sleep and he looks like dad. God, throw a sister a bone. Come on. But as he's grown, as he's observed me, as he's seen my facial expression, as he sees the way I talk, man, now he makes similar gestures and facial expressions. And by the grace of God, his little freckles are starting to show. Hallelujah. <laughs> so if you want to be more like Jesus, spend time in the hands of the Father. Read his word. Spend quiet time with him in prayer. And little by little, you'll find that you'll see more of him when you look in the mirror, amen? amen? So the fourth thing that we find in the Father's hand is liberty. Mm. Upon first look, the fourth finger, the ring finger, is the least useful of the finger. It's attached to the same tendon as the middle finger, so you can't really do a whole lot with it. But today, this finger carries a significant role. Come on, married folk, you know what I'm talking about. And this tradition actually dates back to the second century Egypt. And it has to do with the heart. See, Egyptians believed that there was a vein in the fourth finger known in Latin as the vena amoris, or the lover's vein. And they believed that this vein extended straight from the finger to the lover's heart. Although untrue, <laughs> in modern medicine we've disproved that. But the Romans actually later came to believe this as well. And so to signify that a man had a hold of a woman's heart, he would follow the gospel of Beyonce. He would put a ring on it. <laughs> Come on, y'all. If you like it, you better put a ring on it. Come on. <laughs> and it's a practice we still follow today. What's amazing is that once we're reborn, we're no longer prisoners to the sins of old. And just like the ring that we traditionally place on this finger, the liberty we're given also extends from a place of love and commitment. See, we have the freedom in Christ Jesus to be ourselves, to be who we really are without hesitation and without fear. Why? Because we are never alone. We are not abandoned. Someone has our back. So we don't have to be afraid. Plus, when you know who you are and you walk in that freedom, it doesn't matter what others think you are. I love that video that Minister Celso showed earlier. That's exactly the message we need to give to our young people. See, God created originals, not replicas. So you be you, not what the world is trying to define you to be. Not some mold that somebody else tells you you need to be. Hallelujah. See, like any good parent, God doesn't want to hold us back, but he wants to let us go to reach our full potential. Amen. 
The thing is, is that there are folks that think that Christianity is about restrictions, but they got the gospel message twisted. Why? Because it's about relationship, not rules. See, Jesus came to set the captives free and to release us from the bondage of sin. We're the ones that keep enslaving ourselves by getting ourselves tangled in the things of the world. And then we want to turn around and blame it on God. See, God doesn't want defeated children that are afraid to live life. God doesn't want defeated children that are afraid to laugh. God doesn't want defeated children that are afraid to spread their wings. He wants sons and daughters who are comfortable in who they are and who their father is. That's what true freedom is. Come on, married folk. You know this is true. Because your spouse is the only person that you can get up, your hair looking like this, your breath smelling all funky, and they love you. Come on, y'all. That's freedom. Hallelujah. (laughs) And truth be told, we should act differently because we know somebody has our back. Right? You guys remember in grade school, there was always that one kid, right, who would walk around like they were big and bad. Why? Because they had a sibling in the school. (laughs) So you couldn't tell them nothing. Why? Because, ooh, we're going to tell big sister, big brother. Right? So we should carry ourselves like someone has our back. That reminds me of the way my children act sometimes. I remember about four years ago, we had the opportunity to go to Mexico because my brother and his fiance were getting married. And it was beautiful, and one of the days we had an opportunity to take an excursion where we could swim with the dolphins. Now, sadly, I couldn't go because I was pregnant with my daughter at the time, and dolphins do some crazy thing around pregnant women. They become really protective. So I had to stand about 25 feet away from the lagoon, and I was having a heart attack. (laughs) And so they started really mildly, right? The dolphin came, and they gave them each a peck, and they got to pet the dolphin. So then the trainer invites them to volunteer to see who wants to swim with the dolphin. And so they would grab a hold of the dolphin's fin and he would take them across the lagoon. Now my son Samuel was only six at the time. And even though there was a bunch of adults in the group, guess who volunteered? My son. And so I'm there sweating, I'm having a heart attack and I'm like, oh my goodness. Because this is what was going through my mind. This is what was going through my mind, gentlemen. (laughs) I wasn't looking at the dolphin. (laughs) All of a sudden, I'm like, my son is in the lagoon with Jaws. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And I'm already starting to think of ways that I can make my way over there. Because I'm like, man, this dolphin don't know. I'm going to have to get L.E.S. on him. He's trying to mess with my son. Right? But my son raised his hand and volunteered. Why? Because he knew that daddy was there and mommy was there watching. Right? Because we know that God has our back, we shouldn't be afraid of what the average person is afraid of. As a matter of fact... If people really understood who you served, maybe they would think twice about messing with you. Come on, somebody. 
That's the freedom we need to walk around in. Why? Because we're securely in the Father's hand. Last, but certainly not least, in the Father's hand, we find legacy, right? So we found life, we found love, we found his likeness, we found liberty, and now we find legacy. See, the pinky finger is the smallest finger, but it actually has the largest range of motion because it's on the hand, right? So you can actually bend it away from the hand. When folks wear rings on the little or pinky finger, it represents confidence in business and personal relationships. It's a symbol of strength and bonding towards others. So we need to remember that in God's hands, we're given the opportunity to share a lasting legacy with those around us. Jesus' last instructions to his disciples was go and make disciples of nations. Now in this day and age, we don't need to go far to impact the nations. The nations have come right here to our doorstep. Come on, y'all, we live in New York City. You don't need to get on a plane. You don't need to go far to make an impact. So I challenge us today. Are we sharing the legacy of our father with others? Or are we hoarding the benefits to ourselves? This reminds me of my family. Growing up, we had this uh, a mentality where, where one person ate, everybody ate. So it didn't matter who came over to your house. They didn't get cheese and crackers like other cultures give, right? In my home, they got a full meal, no matter how poor we were. So if you walked in and we were having dinner, you were going to sit at the table and have dinner. And we would get offended if you didn't eat. So I was surprised a few years ago when I had a cousin of mine come visit me. Apparently, they had a different model mentality in his house. We went and we did this big gross set of groceries in preparation for him coming. We had a bunch of boxes of cereal, but we kept running out of cereal. And I'm like, what's up? What's happening to the cereal? So one day I witnessed him. One morning I came down early and I witnessed him. He took one of those serving bowls. You know the bowls that you put the chips in or the popcorn when you're watching movies? And my man filled it with cereal and filled it with milk. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm eating in the big boy bowl. (laughs) And I was upset, because I'm like, man, you're only thinking about yourself. And this is how we are sometimes with our spirituality. How often are we feasting on the goodness of God and not sharing with those around us? Hmm. We're keeping the best kept secret to ourselves. For some of us, It's fear. Maybe we're nervous about talking to people we don't know. But for others, it might just be laziness. Sorry. According to a 2016 study done by LifeWay Research, they say that six in 10 Americans are more comfortable talking about politics than their spiritual beliefs. So more people would rather discuss number 45's latest tweet than share the good news of the gospel. That's crazy. How can other people know that our God is real unless we're sharing what he's done in our lives? See, what many of us have survived is not just coincidence. What many of us have overcome is not just luck. It's the work of a God who is alive and active and still works in the miraculous today. Hallelujah. 
So above everything else we can give, the best gift we can give someone is the legacy of a relationship with the Father. Yes, it's even better than a Snuggie. Da na 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 get your Snuggie. And what I'm asking you to do is not to go and stand on the corner with your microphone like some of our parents did, but through share the legacy through personal conversation and relationship. Today, we can share the goodness of the Father over coffee. We can share the love of Jesus while standing in line at the grocery store, while waiting for the elevator to come. We can start by telling someone, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. What about sharing with someone a testimony of God's goodness? How about showing someone love through a random act of kindness? We need to share the legacy with those around us. See, because I love the Lord, I'm going to pass on as much as I can to my children because beyond anything financial that they can inherit it, I'm going to try my best to open a road for them into the royal family of the risen king. So those fathers in the room, I'm challenging you specifically today. Share that legacy. Don't keep it to yourself. The most powerful thing you can leave behind you is an opportunity for someone else to come into the Father's hands so that they too can experience life, love, his likeness, and the liberty found in him. As I close, I'd like to leave you from this beautiful image from Isaiah 62, verse 3. It says, the Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. As we look at our hands today, I want us to realize that these are the hands that God will reach out to when he leads us home. And he won't care about where those hands have been. He won't care about what those hands have done. What he will care about is about who they belong to and how much he loves them. In the end, those of us that believe in him, those of us that make the decision to remain securely in the Father's hand will be a shining crown for God to show off. But today, 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 we need to make a decision to plant our feet, our feet firmly back in the hands of the Father. They're there. They're extended. They're waiting for you. The question is, are you going to remain securely in the hands of our Father? Amen.